Good afternoon, Savan. Good afternoon, Dan. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. How are you? I'm good. We've spent the whole day together today. Kind of cute. Yeah, a little bit. We've, been, <laughs> we've both like been doing our own projects, kind of, but just hanging out. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, just I'm working, you working. Yeah, and then basically later this month, I start working properly. Ooh. I know. So at the moment, I'm just trying to organize my life, basically, to, I don't know, just start on the right foot and then becoming a man mm, not yet <laughs> out in the workforce hopefully not yet actually being productive for society mm, hopefully not <laughs> no, no maybe a little bit but yeah so that's what i'm doing but at the same time the topic that i want to talk about today which i'm quite excited to talk about in a weird way because i've been really enjoying it mm. is art earlier you were showing me the website the new getting it website yes which uh you may want to talk a little bit more about and maybe plug do you want to do it right now uh yeah i could i mean i didn't actually plan on making it public <laughs> uh for for a while but yeah basically the new getting it website is up and running just about it's probably a bunch of bugs all over the place if you find them then please do let me know so i can fix it so the experience isn't in absolute shambles but yeah just kind of use it as a little project to test a few things out way over engineered than it should be but you know it, it was fun and hopefully it's just a pleasure to use overall um so yeah check it out it should have everything on there feel free to stress test it but please don't like send too many requests or ddos it or anything <laughs> that would be slightly unideal but yeah it's there getting it.co.uk as usual same place it's yeah. looking good but yeah so earlier you were showing me the website and giving me a little tour and you know how you can choose a subsection so for example uh, geography or yeah yeah you know medicine and as such oh yeah the tags and the filters on the episode list yes the the tags then you went on art and we noticed that we only have one recording on art yeah which and is that was that, like our fourth or fifth episode with jerry over a year and a half ago with jerry yeah no, almost two two years ago now or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah around one and a half years ago time passing but yeah, so th that was a long time ago. And in the last few weeks, apart from trying to organise my life, I've been really enjoying going to like the National Gallery in London because mm. it's free and it's one of the best art galleries in the world. You can see there uh, works of art by all like loads of the all-time legends ranging from like Da Vinci to Rembrandt to Van Gogh to like just everyone up to like 1900, which is super cool because... It's just a privilege, privilege, you know, like I didn't know a couple of months ago, I knew very little about art and I was just walking around and I was thinking like, I like I haven't paid anything. I'm just walking around here looking at all of this for free. Mm. And I would be reading the like little plaques by the pieces of art. And I don't know, I, I learned so much. So like after going a couple of times, I just felt so good after going, you know, like you do a good day of revision for medicine. <laughs> It felt like that, honestly, because what I didn't realize is that a lot of the art is depicting moments from history, for example, yeah, and de depicting stories, myths, and just illustrating the history of humans. And also, it, in some ways, it's so cool just to see how things used to look like, even because these artists are incredible. So yeah, the National Gallery in particular, the pieces of art start from around 1300 AD. So there's no ancient art there. That's something important to note. So it's, And also it's very European. So basically in going there, you get like a history of Europe in a sense, uh, as opposed to a history of the world. So yeah, it's definitely a certain lens. But in itself, you, it's just incredible to see 
a lot of priceless pieces of art basically in, in one place. And yeah, I don't know. I guess you can just, every time I go, I learn something completely new. I see pieces of art I'd never seen before. And then it made me realize, oh my gosh, this is what art galleries are like. Like there are art galleries mm. all around the world, you know? So yeah. Mm. Can you give an example of something where, so I've yet to figure out the thing with art galleries mm. and stuff like that. I'm more on the museum side, but I still don't really ever go to museums enough. Even though it's like for the past however many years I've been like based in South Kent, like next to some really good museums. <clears throat> also, I've heard I haven't really been to them. I've been in them briefly just in my lunch break and stuff sometimes. But you mentioned that you can learn so much and stuff from it. What can you give an example where you've learned something that you probably wouldn't have otherwise learned by going to an art gallery or observing a piece of art in one of those galleries? Definitely. So uh, an example could be the first aspect of the answer is learning how it felt to live through a certain historical event, because you can learn about a time period in in history. But a lot of these artists lived in those periods. They actually were painting during those times and sometimes painting about certain historical events or certain historical periods. A, a good example, I think, to start with, this is not something that you can see in the National Gallery. It would be in America. There's this painter called, or this artist called um, Edward Hopper, and he's from America. And uh, there's a painting called Nighthawks. It's very famous. And it's basically two people sat in a bar in the USA, I don't know what city it's supposed to be. I don't even know if it's a real bar. I don't, in fact, it's definitely not a real bar because <laughs> there are no doors going in or out of the bar. Oh. And um, the two people are sat next to each other, but they're not looking at each other. In fact, they're just looking like blankly. And it is an example of how it must have felt to live in America during the like booming period when things were going like when America was growing so much and not just in like financially, but also in, in its culture, it was becoming very international, but also that feeling in the modern age of being isolated in mm. that, in that growth. And mm. you really feel in all of his pieces of art, that feeling of isolation that you can't really feel. And then you can maybe, you can maybe feel that when you read a poem or you listen to some music, but again, it's depicting a very common scene, which is two people sat at a bar that would have been very common in those days as well. You can see the way they were dressed and the the way the street is painted and stuff. You you just, it takes you there, but then also he's slightly altered aspects of it that you wouldn't have actually had in those times. Like for example, the streets are completely empty. The, uh, the shops are, have nothing in them. You're just drawn to those two people in the piece of art. Mm. And you're looking at them in that scene and feeling that emptiness. And that's something that you couldn't get from reading it you know like you couldn't you couldn't read about that period and someone say oh but you know living in a hustling bustling city these were the first times you have like concrete jungles and stuff it's you know you can feel very lonely you can feel very isolated in such a busy place you can read that but in seeing someone who lived at that time actually just painting how it felt you can f experience that feeling in a different way you know mm. um yeah so i guess the best art that i've like noticed f for me anyway is when I feel, I look at it for about five, 10 minutes and I'm feeling, I get a feeling that of how it must have felt to be in a certain place or a certain time. You know, you can, you can look at it and historically go like, oh, they're painting the scene from this battle or something. And that's great, but it's really special to look at like 
yeah, like that example, Nighthawks or um, scenes by uh, like um, a lot of ones by uh, French artists in the late 19th century, they'd be painting by like a riverside or something. And you'd see that scene that we've seen before in our lifetimes, but it's the, the feeling that you get from looking at it that just transports you back to that time. And that's a really special thing. So when you walk through an art gallery, for example, if you really take your time and like, just take in a piece of art and like notice the details and notice the feeling, like try and feel from like looking at it. You can basically go through time in a way, you know, mm. you're going through the 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20, 21st century, and you're experiencing each of those eras, which were so different in different places as well. Um, and then there's another example that I could very quickly give, which is sort of the more textbook learning from it, which you also get from going to an art gallery where it's not just like, oh, I, I learned how it felt to be in a certain place. Mm. You can also, so there's one, for example, at the National Gallery that I quite like called The Family of Darius Before Alexander. It's by this artist called Paolo Veronese, mm. uh, <laughs> a violently Italian name. And um, <laughs> he's he's from the 16th century. And it basically, he, in, in, at that time, they would paint a lot of historical scenes, mm. not just religious scenes, but also scenes from history where, you either, you look at the art piece, you read about it and then you learn history or you already know the historical context and you look at it and you're like, oh wow, like it's amazing to see someone's impression of how that would have actually looked because these are things that are written about in time and you can read them in the ancient history books, but someone's actually trying to bring it to life. So in this piece of art, for example, it's um, it has Alexander the Great, obviously one of the most famous conquerors in history. He, he went eastwards with his army, um, the Macedonians in like, 330 BC and he eventually he defeated Persia right which was huge <laughs> yeah. in the context of history that's like crazy big and the king of Persia at the time the leader of Persia at the time was Darius that's the king who he defeated in a famous battle and what was quite um unique about Alexander the Great I guess and the reason partly why he's so famous and so respected in history is because he would, he was the first great conqueror who would try and assimilate cultures and try and understand the culture of the place that he had taken over to try and preserve it in a sense. So he didn't try to make them Macedonian and Greeks, you know, mm. he, he wanted to understand their culture, their customs, and then integrate it into one big empire in a sense, which is quite unique. And also he was doing this in his early twenties. He was doing this younger than us. That's yeah. Pretty unbelievable. You know, a, a mature mindset, especially for that time as well. You have to remember that. Oh, unique. It's all about just dominating the other town or whatever it is yeah. and just taking over it and just making it yours. So at that time to have that sense of, I don't know, maturity or at least that kind of different level of thinking at that time is it's amazing pretty interesting yeah yeah it, it definitely I, I found that pretty incredible and he to depict that uh these um this artist chose a really interesting scene which is alexander the great in um in persia in the capital i think and he is looking at darius's mother in the piece of art and it's she's on her knees she's begging him for mercy because she mistook him for someone else in his army and normally i guess thousand two two and a half thousand years ago if you made that mistake you'd get killed 
kind of you know if you if you mistook the king or the leader for yeah. someone else that that would be taken personally and you'd be killed especially if you're on the losing side you're yeah. the mother of the king but in the in the in the painting you can see him looking with like sort of forgiveness in a way and looking down at her but respectfully in a way and she's um beneath Darius and i guess it's depicting how um he was different from yeah i, I guess uh, all the other leaders in that time and it was sort of unprecedented it's i don't know just a famous moment and understanding that context makes it kind of a, a special painting in a way and if you don't know any of the history there if you don't know who alexander the great was who darius was who what had happened with the, with the persians being defeated for the first time in a massive battle in hundreds of years and it's sort of marking the end of a great um, mm. empire yeah it's, it's just a big moment from history and you're able to see it yeah. as opposed to read about it so if you want, you can keep reading into that piece of art and you can learn a lot. You can learn about all the other generals who are painted in it. You can learn about, for example, Darius and it is like a triangle over four people, three women and a, and a male child or, or three women and, a, and two children, maybe three children, actually, I'm looking at it. <laughs> but um, yeah, learning about who each of those people were, the lives that they lived. If you want to just sit in that art gallery in front of it and you get it, I do it on my phone. I get Wikipedia up and I just start reading about the other people and I'm looking at the mm. piece of art just like, oh, that's that person. Like they did this. You can just take it all from that piece of art because the painter will have spent sometimes years and years on it. And there is a lot to unpick there, a huge amount to unpick if you want. For example, in this painting, there are loads of animals. So I would like to understand what the animals are doing in it as well, what what they were doing at that time as well in Persia. You can look in the background at the architecture. What is that the royal palace that they were painting? What did that look like? And then also what was the significance of Alexander the Great defeating the Persians? What happened from there? What would have happened if the Persians weren't defeated and they continued? You can just take so much from that one painting, but there are hundreds and hundreds in the gallery. And if you want to look at that specific period of time, you can. So yeah, it's brilliant because you can just think, okay, I want to look at only depictions of ancient Persia or only the conquest of Alexander the Great or yeah. And it just takes you through that time in a sense. So yeah, what I'm saying there is you, you can either learn about history specifically in that way, or you can take yourself to a different time and live through someone else's eyes as well and get the feelings that they felt. And that's just so nice. So basically it satiates you from all angles and that's what I'm finding so <laughs> enjoyable about it. Every time I go, I feel satiated in a different way. Yeah. I think I mean, it's super obvious, but now that I'm only really thinking about it, I suppose the thing with a painting is that the artist can kind of accentuate certain aspects of that environment or that time yeah. in that one painting um, and really make you focus on the thing that they feel is most important for that particular context, time or place or whatever. Yeah. And I suppose coming through the eyes, it's always different to reading it although I suppose most people read through their eyes as well, but, or, you know, listening to it or something, learning about it from a different mode, I suppose, when it's just a visual thing that you just look at. Yeah. And I think the thing you said about just sitting in front of that piece and then just opening up Wikipedia and just going through all the history, because I, I think I, well, I think I'm more drawn towards like historical type pieces, something that has a lot of like direct context to history of the world or, you know, big events and stuff. Um, so, you know, there's a lot, like there's a huge amount behind that picture or painting, but I'm not actually educated enough in really any aspect of history of any time to 
actually understand what's going on or who that person is. But yeah, I suppose these days it's just very simple to just sit in front of it. There will be that little, you know, description that explains, you know, the general context. Yeah. And then from there, just go onto Wikipedia and be like, yeah. and just quickly whiz through all of it. And then, you know, all the backlinks in Wikipedia yeah. and just go, keep going, keep going. And then, yeah, learn a lot whilst just sitting and taking it in visually at the same time. It's genuinely like a textbook. Yeah. And do you know what that actually does with memory side of things? It's basically becoming like a mind palace. It's the mind palace kind of thing where, you know, you think of an environment or some kind of picture in your head and then you associate yeah. pieces of memory yes, with each thing. Definitely. Because then you can be like, these facts about this person, you can then associate with that person in that painting doing that action, right? Yes. Um, 100%. That, so that massively happens. That, you, yeah, so you that, really that, learn. You really yeah. learn from going because you, you remember that piece of art and you, you attach, I guess, the information to it. it mm. If you're trying to remember the details of the event, you just look at the art piece in your head kind of and you, you remember yeah. the people in it. And yeah, but then you'll remember even more because you remember that event overall, but then you'll be able to remember all the stuff that kind of almost led to the event or happened after the event because if you were researching, say, about that particular person, who like the king or whatever in that painting, then you bring up the Wikipedia page and all of that is just being, you know, in the background, being associated with that image of the king in that painting. So now all of that information in your head. So hmm, that might be actually a really good, well, I mean, the whole memory palace, mind palace thing for remembering things mm. is a really solid way of memorizing and just it's not so much about memorizing but it's about retaining that the the small details in what you learn yeah a hundred percent i think i i really like the historical aspect as well uh but i also like the fact that you can depict a scene in so many different ways like the way that you can paint a man or the way that you can paint a woman um, or a child or, or well yeah the way you can basically paint someone to show I don't even know how to explain it to to show like an emotion through how you choose to paint someone in a way like for example the, this painting by da Vinci which is at the National Gallery which is crazy because there are only about eight to ten completed paintings by da Vinci in his whole mm. lifetime one of them's at the National Gallery it's called Virgin of the Rocks and it's about, it has Mary, um, the mother of Jesus, sat over Jesus and John the Baptist, looking at them both. And then Jesus is like blessing John the Baptist with his hands. He's like blessing John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is looking back at Jesus. Mary's looking down at Jesus, I think it is. And then you've also got the angel Gabriel there as well. And it's an incredible painting obviously it's by da vinci mm. it's so it doesn't mean much for me to say that but it really is amazing because for example what i like about it and i'm also by the way people talk about art in such a certain way i've noticed like sometimes that like you need to say all the techniques and i don't know like use specific language i don't know any of that so to anyone who does know about art i'm probably yeah. sounding very, a lot like, of the time it just comes across like quite pretentious yeah so. i don't like i don't know how you're meant to officially talk about it but yeah. don't, to, don't don't learn how to talk about it officially because otherwise i cannot yeah. stand that well, yeah all i can say is the way that he has um painted mary in it he has made her look like just such a mother like the way that a mother is perceived in society, you know, I have a couple of examples or like a couple of thoughts on it based off the painting alone. Um, one, her expression, and this is something I like so much about Da Vinci, his paintings. Again, I'm sure there are 
book, like thousands of books about Da Vinci's painting, and instead you're hearing Dan's <laughs> Dan's opinion um, after a couple of months. The, the way Da Vinci paints people, he makes them look so soft, so gent. It's all so gentle. I know that he had one technique called sfumato, and that's where you like blur two. You know when you've got like um hard contrast between colors like my hand against this um mm. uh pillow he would blur when you go really close he'd actually blur the two colors together to mm. make everything very soft everything sort of connect and that's how he got such like the facial expressions are so gentle and so delicate it's because he Smooth. would yeah he would yeah it, it's just amazing it's, i think sformato means smoky so it's like it's all mm. very yeah like Almost yeah. like, basically in cinematography, what you what, what people do to get a similar kind of dreamy type look is um, there are things called like promist filters. So you put that on your lens and it actually adds like a haze that softens the image. And especially when you have skin tones and stuff like that, it softens in, it adds a haziness and it kind of blends any kind of harshness together because it adds that layer of haze. And it blends it all in. So I suppose, yeah, you still see that kind of technique in cinematography today. It's, yeah, I mean, I guess he, he was probably just going off of vibes, but yeah, yeah. he, the way he captures the energy of a mother or like how mothers have been perceived in society for, mm. for a very long time. Even the fact that he's painted her very pale, she's very white. And I guess white is associated with purity and people see their mothers in such a pure sense, you know, mm. but basically yeah uh it's just very uh very cool to see that and then also these things these paintings are marks of history you know mm. like you just hope that they'll be preserved for hundreds of years and it's amazing to learn about the process of paint painting history like da vinci the renaissance that was the first modern period of like great improvements and discoveries in painting and you can see over just a couple of hundred years how quickly they came on and how the the like nature of painting changed and again you walk through an art gallery and you can just see the history of that too so yeah the way that da vinci painted the paints he used the color palettes and stuff those are completely different from the 19th century for example and the way that they would paint a human being the human looks completely different. So it's fascinating to see that as well as the cultural differences. So the way that the Italian painters would work or religious painters would work as opposed to the Dutch painters. And then, yeah, you move forward to more, towards the modern day and it, it, it's so different again. So, mm. yeah. Just going back about the, you know, the typical history, you know, war type paintings and stuff after a big event or even a painting of a war and stuff. They always say, you know, the victors write history. Mm. Surely there must be a website somewhere where, like you're saying, there have been paintings, you know, of society after a particular war or a particular event. But there are always two sides to it. There's the victors and the losers, mm -hmm. where surely there must have been artists within the losing side that also did paintings of that same time and place and context. From that perspective. From that perspective. But seeing them side by side would be really interesting. Yeah, like two different depictions yeah. of the same scene. Yeah, like surely... Man, if someone hasn't like made a website or like some kind of archive online where you can see like pictures of the same time and place, but by people or by artists in from different backgrounds or contexts for that time and place, that would be very interesting, I see. Because then you're not being, you're not limited to just one point of view of yeah. how someone perceived that 
like I said, you know, the artist can accentuate certain aspects in terms of how they feel for that time and place. But mm -hmm. being able to see the other side and see them side by side, so you can see how the different minds of different people were thinking and feeling at that time. I think, in a sense, those those pieces of art still will exist as well because artists yeah they exist but has someone put them together so that you can see them side by side because i think literally seeing it like on the left and then on the right and just... i think they're there i think they're there still i i don't know i could be wrong because nah actually actually i am wrong because like i don't know it's too hard to yeah. it's too hard to just say these people are the winners these people are the losers yeah no it's, it's not so it. much about just oh, like the winners and the losers or whatever but it's more just people of different backgrounds in that same context of time and place mm. and seeing how they're perceiving it and what they choose to accentuate or focus on um or in terms of like how they feel in that particular time yeah i i mean if that hasn't been done then the opportunity is certainly there oh i gotta look into that that might be a little bit mad <laughs> but yeah I, I i guess the the bottom line is you every time you go you, you just you learn something new and it's basically a whole world in itself it's pretty it's pretty awesome and yeah i'm just getting started with it I think the my favorite artists or the ones I think are really good are Da Vinci. I think Da Vinci crazy. Like the way he yeah. the way he be catching those facial expressions. All of his paintings have such a like spiritual aspect to them. They feel spiritual when you look at them. Mm. Partly I think because it's literally Leonardo da Vinci. So you're looking at it, you're thinking, like Da Vinci painted this. Like <laughs> I'm looking at something that was painted by that guy five hundred years ago. Mm. Over five hundred years ago. He just sat there. And he he was he didn't consider himself a painter. He was he crazy procrastinated. He did not complete most paintings that he started. You can see in the National Gallery they even have his um his sketches, like his pre-paintings, because even those are are worth being hung up. Like if you look at this one, they just have a giant canvas like of him just sketching basically, and they just put that up in the National Gallery because it's just unbelievable. He was. Yeah, um, like work in progress. Fuck yeah, those you, are just studies. Felt cute, might delete later. Felt cute, might delete later. Those are just studies. Like there. Oh man, he's just done a study of the face. He he wasn't even primarily a painter. He was he saw himself, I think, as a scientist. But yeah, he so he barely did any completed works of art. I think he's amazing though. Caravaggio, Caravaggio is this crazy guy <laughs> from the 16th, 17th century. Like he painted around sixteen hundred. He died young he died at like 39 he killed someone and then he went on the run oh and God. he spent the last few years of his life on the run and then eventually died on a beach but he was an unbelievable painter i think his paintings are crazy he would crane he would paint religious scenes but you like religious scenes that other people wouldn't usually paint like controversial moments for example in the history of christianity for example he would have um, a lot of beheadings. Like he would, oh. he'd do like a beheading, but then he'd the the beheaded face would be his face. Like he painted his because he'd killed someone, for example, and he was like bringing his own life into the painting and showing how like there was a bounty on his head. But in or like his paintings of David and Goliath in the Bible, for example, and also what he would do, which was completely unique. Uh, well, I don't know if it's completely unique, but what he would do, which was pretty special at the time was he um had a style called um chiaroscuro which was where the use of color and the use of light is actually crazy genuinely crazy because 
the background he will make completely black and then all of the light is like focused on a, a very specific part of the painting or a couple of very specific people in it and they are just bursting with color and light but somehow your eyes just stuck through them like you he's controlling how you look at the painting which is unbelievable mm. as well it's so impressive and the 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 nature of the realism is just crazy because a lot of the painters at that time like now we're talking over 400 years ago i don't know they they weren't necessarily realistic in a way not that you need to be realistic with art it doesn't in fact it definitely most of art is not about being realistic but the way he captures it it feels so real it feels like today it feels like right now those people are like somewhere in the world alive so yeah i'll, I'll show you one actually quickly if that's all right he, he's crazy good that's that's actually him that's so controversial to paint that or like um see how she's also dark like oh, yeah. it's also dark that and that's someone in the bible getting killed i don't know this specific one um, but and and all the light is on her like ultimately all the lights on this is about her definitely i've never seen this painting before but i can tell that this painting is her reflection on this murder it doesn't even look like she wants to do it it's actually quite sad i don't think she wants to do this it's all about her and the, the suffering in his face as he looks at it this just 400 years ago someone painted that i can't believe it like that's just crazy to me yeah um that's him Again, like the light and the colour here is just... What on earth? 400 years ago. Or like this one, the light coming in through the window. Yeah. Even though it's such harsh light, he still actually manages to paint it in quite a soft way, if that makes sense. Yeah, the way... Ah, uh, I think... Um, oh, no film school. I, like, I follow them. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, I think what he's really managed to do well when it comes to that kind of painting, the reason, like, if you look to, like, the skin and stuff, like, they, the humans and stuff just look so realistic. Um, even though it also doesn't look realistic at the same time. Mm. Um, Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's, it is kind of mesmerizing. You're like, what the hell is going on? And I think what he's actually kind of nailed there is, well, I wouldn't say nailed, but he he at least understood it and he was getting to it is subsurface scattering of skin. Do you know what that is? Or just subsurface scattering in general. It's where light would come through and when it bounces off our skin, it doesn't actually just bounce off our skin. It, it actually like goes inside, scatters a bit inside, like just underneath the surface of the skin, then bounces out. That's why you can, because our skin is kind of like transparent, you can shine a torch through like one end of your finger and it, you can see it on the other side, it's all red and everything. Yeah. That's like the subsurface scattering. So that's what you can see, like all the way, the and because it's quite harsh light in a lot of his photos, like like you said, completely uh, photos, paintings, um, you know, very dark background, basically black. And then it's like one, you know, directional light that's coming in through. And then that, I don't know, probably gave him the ability to accentuate that light and almost kind of give that illusion of subsurface scattering. And that's a thing actually in CG and animation and stuff that's always been so hard. And we're only really being able to s simulate that now in computer generated, like, you know, 3D models of humans and stuff or just nature is subsurface scattering. And that's why before, without it, you get that weird kind of plasticky look like, you know, sometimes when you're just watching a movie and they've like deep faked a certain part of it 
or like the hand is fake and you're like you can tell that hand is fake just by looking at the skin like the animation everything's so good but it's just, something's off with the skin and that is usually subsurface scattering and i realize everything in nature just what makes it look so good is subsurface scattering that's why golden light um, or golden hour when the sun is at a lower a lower angle in the sky in the morning and in the, in the evening it's the subsurface scattering that just makes it look so good and i really like just came to that moment like a couple of days literally yesterday when i came back home after a long drive and it was a clear sky sun was you know starting getting to the point of setting mm. and i just looked up uh, all the leaves and you could see because it's very an, a very orange light against green so um, like a really deep green of the leaves you could just see like how the yellow orange light was literally penetrating the leaf not fully but then like coming out of the leaf so it's like the leaf was emitting like one half of that leaf was emitting that orange light and i think it's just that angle and at which the light is coming and the contrast it gives to everything that it almost accentuates like that subsurface scattering like even when everyone loves you know the the golden hour selfie photo light mm. um and when you look at everything everything just looks so good um and the other thing with golden hour is again it leads to that kind of haziness because everything is a lot softer mm. um because almost like the blending of the light all of the light throughout the atmosphere is being scattered as well so it's a lot softer um so it's interesting that yeah that's why in yeah i do a lot of cinematography like lighting and watch all these film school videos and stuff like that and a lot of the focus is always on the lighting because it's with the lighting that you can get that kind of emotion you can completely change the image just with the lighting and that's why a lot of these cinematographers would study, you know, the great artists because they were essentially creating the light from scratch. They started with zero and they're painting the light. They have to essentially. So they truly understood how it worked with a camera. Like you're, you're still capturing the light. So mm -hmm. the light is doing light things. It's doing physics. Yeah. yeah. But, and then we manipulate it on top to try and get certain looks, but the painters understood how light actually just worked from a visual point of view and could emulate it in a way without the physics and actual capturing of the light. That's where for me, like appreciation comes in. I'm just like, yeah, the, the way they're just manipulating, not manipulating, well, they are manipulating it, but just being able to express light in that way. To tell to like with a narrative as well. Yeah. So they will use the light to tell a story to like in, in one of those paintings, how the light focused you on that woman when she when mm. she was killing that guy yeah and it, it brings you to her um or as you said you can just appreciate the mastery of the light in itself like the way yeah. that he's managed to manufacture something that looks so real mm. um yeah i, I don't th i can't remember if we mentioned this in the last episode uh like in the last <laughs> art episode was episode five or something so like 80 or 70 episodes ago um i I really do. I remember you said that you you don't really find much interest in people who do hyper realistic drawings and stuff. Like it's an insane skill, and like you look at it on a sheet of paper, you're like, is that actually, is that real or is it just mm. a drawing or a painting or something? And the reason I find it so interesting because again, it's about that mastery of light, understanding how light shapes different objects and stuff. Mm. So I think that's at least where my interest in art comes from, or certain aspects of art is just being able to see how are they manipulating light? Do they understand light? How real, or it's not about how realistic that light is. Obviously when it's a hyper-realistic drawing, they have to emulate how light would actually act in real life. But when it comes to more stylistic paintings and stuff, they still understand light, but they, 
they're playing with it to the point where it's realistic and unrealistic at the same time. So it gives that kind of mesmerizing look like there's something unreal about it, but then it's also so familiar and so real as well at the same time. So yeah, for me, I think it's all about the light, which really gets me interested because yeah, I, I, I suppose I have some understanding or appreciation for it when doing video work and you have to mm. think about the light and how's the light acting and portraying a certain image. Is the light too harsh or soft and whatnot? So yeah, I suppose in the end, everyone can find their own way into, uh, I, I suppose I just kind of need to go to a gallery at one point with you and just- that, uh, We can just go and yeah. we can just look at, whatever we want you know like mm. that's what's so cool as well is no one's you there's no rule book of how you're meant to look at a painting yeah. you can choose to look at it from a purely technical standpoint and say like that's crazy the way that they've made that person like they've drawn like light into that person or i don't know basically or, yeah. or you can look at it like how i like to look at it as well which is the feeling thing because that, that feeling thing i was saying is really powerful sometimes like the, the way that for example a, a human expression can be captured um just amazing so i was saying before i really like caravaggio i really like da vinci that um those two are crazy there, there are four old masters mm. that are considered an art it's uh, caravaggio da vinci um michelangelo who was also a sculptor also i don't know if i'm pronouncing any of these names wrong if i am then so be it <laughs> uh, i want to pronounce them right and then the last one is Raphael. those were all um from around the same era same period in italy then later on there are some artists, very famous artists, who are pretty crazy good as well. Van Gogh, mm. his is, um, he was like post-impressionist. And impressionism is like um, a completely different type of art. I think it's an era in itself. It was like late 19th century. And it is basically the idea that you paint, often outdoors, just you're not you're you're not trying to make it a perfect depiction of what's in front of you, but you're trying to capture an impression of it, like looking at it in a certain way, if that makes sense. Like for example, you would usually just take a couple of hours to paint, as opposed to sitting there and, and meticulously um, getting all of it perfectly. There'd be sometimes like thick brush strokes, and you wouldn't be getting the the um, dimensions completely right. But you might exaggerate the colors, for example, and have really strong colors, and it just really brings it to life in a unique way. And I really like those paintings as well. They're really cool. And Van Gogh comes after that. He's like post-impressionist, but the the colors that he uses and the feeling. With with his pieces of art, to me at least, you really get um, you you get to understand the guy because mm -hmm. his life was tragic. He he died, he died. He had many psychiatric problems. He was he had psychosis. Um, he I think modern days he would probably been diagnosed with bipolar, from what I understand. And he was admitted into a psychiatric institution. Mm -hmm. But when he went into the institution, his brother, who was incredible and really supported him throughout his whole life, he died in his thirties. Van Gogh. And so did his brother. Um, his brother insisted that he'd be allowed to paint in the institution. And it was in the middle of the countryside. And so for a couple of years or a year or two, he was in that institution. He had his own studio and he was just painting, 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 painting. And you can just see someone who's not well mentally, but it, but it wasn't seen as a disease. You know, it was seen as just he's different and let him do his own thing. And the, the, you, you're just seeing life through his lens. You know, mm. you're seeing countryside through his lens, people, scenes the way that he would see them. And it's not normal, you know? Yeah. That's what I like. You can see, I, I think even back then you'd look at it and be like, this guy ain't, <laughs> yeah. I don't see, to me, that's just a, a, a dinner party, you know, yeah. to him. 
it's yeah I, I guess those sort of painters as well it's really it's amazing to yeah, to see those ones that's too. interesting because it's, it's, it's a slight tangent but I was thinking back then like what was the business model for these guys like obviously so for Van Gogh like okay he went to okay psychiatric hospital or whatever institution and I suppose he could just do whatever he wants and I suppose basic necessities would have been provided for him so mm. but what about like the other great artists and stuff and just other artists you know that are big at that time where it was like their full-time job to be yeah. because I'm assuming commissions I mean, yeah but you had to make a name for yourself or something at that point but and I don't really like did people just have like side hustles and stuff like oh yeah let me just after my nine to five start painting for the rest of the evening and stuff I just I don't know it, I mean it sounds very normal but that's in today's society. Where uh, well, I think part of it is a, is the problem with art, like a lot of interest that you can have in that art is definitely elitist. Yeah. And for example, in London, art is very white. Art is very elitist and, and exclusive. And I think in the past, artists would come from well-off families and they'd be able to afford to go to art school and have their provisions. Or um, literally just do nothing else in life and just do art. Dedicate because, themselves yeah. to art until they're good enough that they can do commissions. So yeah. they would go to, but I think that would be the case for university, for most special specializations yeah, yeah, back yeah, then yeah. where you need years to get to a certain level. And during those years, you need to be looked after. So I think, yes, a lot of people in the past were privileged in that sense that they could afford to do that. But I mean, that's part of the problem with art as well. Probably in these galleries, it's painting a certain part of society. You're not capturing... Mm. what life was like for for i don't know poor people hundreds of years ago or people who were persecuted hundreds of years ago i mean it's still there but it's harder to find so yeah, yeah. well i mean i i had to be be the guy who brings crypto into everything but <laughs> with nfts i suppose that is what's changing the landscape with it. and that's why so many artists are going especially digital artists and stuff uh really see the value in nfts because it kind of democratizes that entire process where if someone finds a piece valuable for whatever reason they can give that price to that person and buy that piece and hold ownership of that piece for whatever they value that thing at you know on the open market some are you know there are obviously some or some platforms of for nfts where it's more curated and stuff but there are massive like open market places as, as well and then the interesting thing is because there's a direct chain of ownership and you know who the original creator is so if someone resells that piece to someone else for however much a percentage of that piece can always go back to or of the resale price will always go back to the original creator which almost provides a sustainable you know business model i suppose for creators in that sense because say if you know and you you put this in the contract of the nft from the very beginning that okay all future resales of this 10 percent of those sales will then go back to the creator so person buys the first thing for a thousand pounds or something um that obviously entire thousand goes to the creator but then that person the person who now owns the nft on that piece of art will then um resell it for maybe like 3000 or something you know maybe a year later or for whatever mm. reason later on and then so but the creator now gets 300 quid off that a solid 10 percent yeah um whilst you know they're still making their own things but now it's actual like a potential stream of income depending on the you know velocity of reselling but some people do literally just do selling arbitrage to try and make money that way but some people like to just collect um and you know some of the largest auctions of art have happened in nfts i think it was like 12 something billion or something, uh, maybe, was it that high? 12 billion? 
yeah, I, I don't know why I was in the billions. That was like way off. That was just a really bad understanding of scale of numbers. Um, so at least when I was, you know, following it more closely, it was 69.3 million for the first 5,000 days. And it's insane, the story around this guy. Um, the guy, um, what's his name? Yes, Beeple. Um, I remember following him back like in 20, I don't know, like 2015 or something. And he's posted a piece of art every single day um, for like 12 years straight or something. Um, and he's just gathered a massive following through that because his creations were eccentric to say the least and pretty messed up as well a lot of the time you're like what the hell am I even looking at it's entirely like um cg like modeling and stuff like that um yeah and then when nft started to you build up hype like a couple of years ago he got onto that train and someone bought a piece that's basically just a collation of his first five so he created five thousand pieces every single day so for five thousand days he made a piece of art kind of thing collated into one kind of big thing and that sold for 69.3 million um and i mean so recently as of like today basically the most expensive nft that's been uh, ever been sold is 91.8 million dollars i don't actually know what that piece was but um Oh, so that was actually bought by 30,000 people, basically, um, to all have shared ownership. But either way, NFTs are used for a lot more than just art and owning art and JPEGs and stuff. Mm. There's a lot more actual contractual nature behind it, and it can be used to like prove ownership of, especially in less developed countries where they don't have good systems of like proving ownership of a particular asset like a house if you can prove ownership of a house that has a certain value so you have proof of ownership of a certain amount of value then you know you can take out loans or collateralize certain payments and stuff with your house or something or your mortgage or whatever it is um so it's not just art and you know nft apes and hype weird hype things like that most nft projects are just gonna flop or a, a lot are kind of scams basically or pyramid schemes but there is actual substance behind it. Um, but yeah, so I suppose that's probably going to end up being the business model of the future for art, a lot of artists. And that's why I think that's why a lot of people or a lot of artists suddenly flocked towards NFTs. Still got a bias towards actual digital art. Rather, I haven't really seen much, you know, hand painted type art being put forward through NFTs. But I suppose I, I haven't really, I'm not really into that sphere of things anyway. But it's interesting how the world's changing. Well, yes, I think. I've said my piece on art galleries and then we've gone on to NFTs and <laughs> who knows where we'd end up after that. So I think we should probably call it there. How long have we been talking for? Probably around like 45, 50 minutes. Okay. All right. Sounds like a good, a good, good place episode length. Then. Average yeah. commute. Yeah. yeah little commute. Yeah. All right then. But then that assumes they're listening at one time speed, which I hope they're not. I really do hope they're not for their own sanity. Four times minimum. <laughs> yeah. All right, I guess we'll <laughs> leave it there then. All right. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Getting It. If you enjoyed this episode or didn't, then feel free to leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcasts app or on the Apple Podcasts website. We'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, or questions about anything we discussed. So feel free to email us at thoughts at gettingit.co.uk. You can also reach us on Twitter or Instagram at gettingit underscore pod. You can find all the links in the show notes.